everybody, and welcome back to Quirks of Creation, the science and history podcast. I'm Jess Holmes, and with me, as always, is my buddy Elise. Hey, Elise. Hello. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Happy Quirks of Creation Day. I am so excited to have you guys here because we are talking about something crazy, and I think it's like kind of scary, right? It could be. I think it's heavy. It could be. It could be heavy. It could be heavy. Yeah. Maybe. Are, I mean, do I have to like wear a big backpack filled with rocks? Like, that <laughs> yeah, go for or, go for a hike. <laughs> go for a, you know, I've been sitting in a movie theater all day. I don't think I'm up for physical activity. <laughs> no, we're done with that. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more just like don't, don't, uh, don't go against God. Like it's just a reminder. Ooh. I Another mean, one. like, I can't imagine what would possess a person to want to go against God. But, you know, right. that's just me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just heavy in that way. And we'll get into it. You decide for yourself. And maybe um, a snack you shouldn't eat. <laughs> like a forbidden <laughs> snack? Like Cheetos. Cheetos are like yeah. my forbidden snack. Oh, yummy. I don't I don't, Do you have a chocolate snack? chocolate like Ooh. i'm just a chocoholic i love me some like doves dark chocolate not oh. sponsored by doves but that is the you best. know if doves if you wanted to yeah we'd eat them all 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 the time we would this would be a hot. different kind of stream <laughs> we could even do like asmr with the rappers ASMR stream. yeah if you missed it last week our whole episode was about strange sound and asmr and we did some really fun sounds. So if you missed that episode, definitely go back and check that out. But this week, Elise is bringing us some curses. Some curses. That's right. Like, like not the swearing kind ah. that your mama told you you should not do. Right. That's too easy. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, no, we're going to be talking about the curse tablet that was found at Mount Ebal in 2019. And... There's a lot that goes with this. So we're calling it the blessing of the cursed tablet. Mm. Yeah. And the thing is, what the ramifications of this could be if it is what they're saying it is. And like, we'll get into, you know, the academics of it. We're going to get into uh, how it was found and what's been done and all that good stuff, what it means. But sure. um, first, first, just to... Well, I guess before before we really jump in, do we have anything we need to announce? Do we have anything we need to say? Um, that's a good question. Don't forget don't to go over and check out our locals page. We put up the second episode of Quirks or Quacks, which Yay. is our bonus content. Super fun. We get super off the walls, quacky, and just yeah. talk about all the most random stuff. Like how roundabouts caused the tornado that definitely touched down in Georgia <laughs> the other day. <laughs> I just you have to go watch it just for that just one because for that. I can't even mimic the accent of this guy. It's southern, so good. but I don't know what southern accent. It, I don't know. It's just amazing. He's wonderful. And it's He's so amazing. Funny. But anyway, go check it out. It is really it is hilarious. All of it is good. Just our personal favorite, I think, from that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely come up more as the weather has gotten more tropical. Yeah, it's gotten crazy for you, yeah. hasn't it? Welcome to the South, where nothing is normal and the weather hates me. Yay! Yay! And you can and welcome to Michigan, where there's air pollution. 
from, from wildfires. Canada. From air air quotes wild fires. Yeah. They're yeah. they're definitely fires. Their quotes is around wild. Right. I'm totally convinced not. But anywho. <laughs> also, there is, a, speaking of Michigan, next week on Wednesday, the 26th of July, if anybody is here in Michigan and wants to meet up with PJ and Abby from Conspiracy Pilled, or you just want to go crash a good party, you should join me at the Lansing Brewery or Lansing Brewing Company. Come have a beer with us. Again, I'm crashing this party. It's for conspiracy code, it. but we got to have some quartz there. representation there, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to do that around 1 p.m. If you can, come join. It'll be fun. I think that's all we got, though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's so, get into some curses. Let's get into this. Okay. So to start off, I have to ask you, have you ever been so mad at somebody, so mad or upset, or hurt, all the feels, whatever, that you would take the time out of your day to write a curse and to write it out, and then not only write it out, but put it, you know, in a in an auspicious kind of place so that mm. it take hold, but that's very, very detailed. <laughs> that is very detailed. I can't even think of someone I've been mad at for more than, like, five seconds, yeah. To warrant that kind of behavior. It's just so, I mean, it's super extra, right? Like to yeah. go through the trouble to be like, I hate you so much. Curse I'm on you. Curse, curse yeah. on your cow. Right. You know. <laughs> cow. What is it from Mulan? He's like, curse yeah. on your family. Curse on your cow. Curse. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, it turns out that... Um, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at base, babe, because she said I absolutely would, but only because murder is frowned upon. Okay, so so you can like curse <laughs> the people who have super wronged you in a certain way, just yeah. not just don't do the murder. But I mean murder thing. if you think about it, is the curse not worse? Well, I guess it depends on what the curse is, right? Because a lot absolutely. of times curses seem very demonic. So you're basically calling upon like a demonic spirit. To plague somebody that is what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. That's so, kind of mean. It's kind of mean. I'll get into it. But really, so curse tablets, and not this one that we're talking about in particular tonight, but I just kind of want to give everybody a reference. Right. Um, curse tablets are not unknown in archaeology. They have been, <laughs> they have been um, found all over. So they found these. Curse tablets, mostly, most of them written on lead, ranging from Egypt to England. Like, they're, yeah, they're all over. And most of that was because, I know, isn't that crazy? Who's cursing a guy, like, with their white picket fence and their fancy little hobbit holes? Like, curse, (laughs) I can't even do an English accent. Curse (laughs) for not being Harry Potter or something, you know? Like, what? What? You didn't give me my bangers and mash the other day. (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the reason is it the timeline roughly is 500 BC to 500 AD. Mm. And the Roman Empire was everywhere. Right. And so it was very popular in Greece and Rome and Egypt. And so that's kind of why it's spread so far was because Rome spread so far. <laughs> um, 
Rome was pretty big. Yeah. Rome was a big deal. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it was a big deal. So, um, so according to Stuart McKee, a scholar of Roman history at Durham University in the UK, the definition is, quote, the standard definition is that their intention is to influence by supernatural means people and animals against their will. Mm. Against quote. their will. Don't like that part. Right. Against their will. Not so, not so cool. Um, I have a picture of one right here that Ooh. is, I think it was found. I don't remember. I don't, I didn't write down where it was found. Well, it was found somewhere in their area. It was very in small, place. narrow area to locate it. Um, <laughs> that's small. Question. That is small. So those are centimeters. So what is that one? Okay, can we math? 10, 11, 12. Six centimeters. minus 18 would be 12, yes. Hey! <laughs> Just does math and I'm counting. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, that's how our brains work. But anyway, so this is dated around 100 AD, and both sides are inscribed with a prayer for revenge in Latin. And this inscribed? Is a, or, uh, yeah, no, like, I... I understand like the meaning of the word inscribed. I'm just looking. And oh, I'm I know. Like, it's hard to see. There are words. Yeah. So for the audio listeners, to me, it looks like, uh, you know, those slate of paper that you get from like a public restroom and it's like the brown paper <laughs> yeah. and it's been wet all day and it's just like <laughs> kind of falling apart. That's a really good description. It definitely don't look like there are any words on it. No, they're very hard to see. Unfortunately, I could not make this bigger. And if you think these are hard to see, just uh, just wait. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, that is just an example of one of them. But it is a thin lead sheet. And it was wrapped in wow. thirds or folded in thirds. That they uncovered. Just, again, an example. Um, but what people would do is they would use these like tablets to curse neighbors, political rivals, rival sports teams, lovers. Rival who's sports sport teams. Yeah. It was, yeah, that was like. Like a, in the Coliseum days, yes. like Hercules is doing too good, man. Or uh, yeah. not Hercules, Achilles. Achilles was the real guy, right? Whoever. Achilles was the fake guy. <laughs> One of them. One of those guys. One of those dudes. Yeah. Or like the rival chariot team. Like, yeah. I hope all your horses break their legs. I don't know. It's I don't know a whole if that's new a real meaning one, to break a leg. <laughs> yes. And I mean, this this got crazy. So the we'll get back to the lead. But with these curses, it seemed that there was like a peak of popularity and then a short drop and a peak and a drop. And it wasn't um, like a steady rise. It was just be popular for a minute and then not. And then it was. Right. And what they do is either you'd write one yourself or if you couldn't um, or you were rich enough, you could go to a magician and have them do it for you. Yikes. Yeah. And and this isn't the Mickey Mouse sort of magician. This is the hardcore probably doing like animal sacrifices. And yeah. I mean, this wasn't all dolls. they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, too, like, that would get crazy with that, too. So not only would they do this inscription, but sometimes they'd have, like, a, some hair from that person they were cursing or, uh, you know. Yeah. So it just got super crazy. And there were times – and at one point it was, like, 
I curse you. But if you find out that I cursed you and you try and curse me back, you can't like, I'm rubber, you're glue. (laughs) And there would be amulets made to like ward off the curses. Yeah. Is that like from the mummy? Wasn't there like an amulet? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bad at movies. (laughs) There. Yeah, there was. I don't know. I loved those movies, but I'm tr- I can't think of anything specific. I'm sure PJ will know because he's seen every movie in existence. He's seen them all. He remembers them all. He's really good at that. <laughs> but anyway, so it just got crazy. And that was kind of our reference archaeologically before we found this cursed tablet in Mount Ebal. Um, with the lead. So there's some debate that this was the main thing used. There were also like shards of pottery that were used. People would right. write it on graves. People would, I mean, they'd use all sorts of stuff. I'm gonna curse you after you dead. Like, oh yeah. There's one very popular one where a guy wrote a curse to someone who did die. And he was like, curse you for suing me essentially. And luckily for you, I was innocent, but you're not. Well, I don't know. It was, and then he put it on his grave. <laughs> And it's like, I hope you got that in the afterlife, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that there wasn't such thing as an ancient lawsuit, I think boggles <laughs> my mind more than the curse itself. Right. Right. I know. Isn't that crazy? People have been figure. suing each other since the beginning of time. Nothing new. Nothing, Nothing new, folks. New. <laughs> um, but they, so yeah, so it would just get crazy. It got to like this hype, hype and we found these lead tablets all over the place, pretty much. Right. Lead would have been used, one, because silver mining in Greece and Rome, mm-hmm. it was a huge moneymaker for them. And lead is a byproduct of that. Ah. So it would there be like a plethora of that lead. That makes sense. Yeah. And also, like some people are like, it just looks magical. Lead looks so magical. Well, so lead isn't one of the magnetic elements, so I wouldn't necessarily connect it to that. No. I'm surprised they didn't use iron, but I guess lead is more malleable. Yes. It was very easy to write on. Comparatively speaking. Not not like papyrus or paper, however you say it yeah papyrus yeah papyrus yeah you know not like and not like paper we have today um but they would fold these tablets and that kind of like sealed the deal if you Mm. will and they would put them in these places that i don't know how i want to put it but like you would put them in um i have in my notes but of like spiritual hot spots or something that's a great idea that energy yeah, like a big one was a well because that appealed to Minerva in Rome mm. or um, underground in temples or just buried in the graves or whatever. Yikes. And a lot of them were nailed to different places as well. And so anyway, I'm going off on this place. huge That's tangent. So like that, that is so extra. Like not only am I going to curse you, I'm going to like nail the curse into your house door or something. The whole world's going to see this. Yeah. yeah. That, that's super like mafia-esque. Like I'm going to leave a horse head in your bed type of thing. <laughs> I mean, it is Italy, person. right? So, Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ancient mafia. Yeah, we figured it <laughs> got out. Got it. Got it. There's the got connection. It. <laughs> got it. 
Um, but I was looking for something a little bit more nefarious, and I'm sure it's out there. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to come back to this. I'm actually going to put a pin in that, and we're going to come back to that because there's Ooh. there's something there, and and biblically, but we'll come back to it anyway. This point, I'm going to call this the Sunday school refresher. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> Where we talk about? I need a refresher. <laughs> I did. I was like, I don't remember Mount Ebal, like in the Bible, which was terrible. I don't know if anybody else is there with me, but well, I didn't remember it either. And it's so funny too, because I was doing my Bible study this week and I ended up in Deuteronomy and I started reading exactly where they were talking about Mount Ebal. And I was Perfect. like, what the heck? <gasps> Here it is. It's funny how that happens. That is spooky. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> So, coincidences? No. No, we don't believe in coincidences. Mm-mm. So, yes, in Deuteronomy, we see Moses, like, sets the scene for what will happen at Mount Ebal, which is the mountain of cursing, and Mount Gerizim, which is the mountain of blessing, when the Israelites finally get a foothold into the promised land. And what he was telling them in Deuteronomy was to build an altar on Mount Ebal and to divide the tribes in half between the two mountains and when, unfortunately, uh, Moses never got to see this fulfilled. Right. So we know that they got to the promised land. They're like, nope, not doing that. And then turned around and wandered in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> so there's my sum up. So unfortunately, you know, of course, Moses dies. Joshua takes over when they finally do get to the promised land. And when they do get to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Joshua does what Moses told him to do. He follows the rules. And what happens is they divided the tribes. Um, So Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin stood on Mount Gerizim, so the blessings. And then the remaining tribes, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali, excuse me, stood on Mount Ebal. And it was this whole ceremony, like, I'm sure it took all day. Yeah. (laughs) So... The guys on the mountain of blessing would be would do something along the lines of like, blessed is the man who does not worship an idol. Mm. And then on Mount Ebal, they would respond, yes and amen. And then when it was their turn, they would be, you know, cursed is the man who does worship an idol. And then over on Mount Gerizim, they would be like, yes and amen. So, you know, in agreement, they were all recommitting themselves to the covenant, mm. to their promises. Okay. And I mean, they went through every, every, every single one of the 10 commandments or, and yeah. every promise, everything that, that wow. Moses, yeah, all of it. So I, I'm guessing these mountains were like very close together in yes. proximity in order for this to happen. Yes. So here's a little picture for us. Ooh, good. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Very close. So Mount, Gerizim on one side, Mount Ebal on the other. Shechem is in the middle. And that's a big deal, too. But basically, yes, the, the, I think the reason that God had picked these two mountains was their proximity to each other. Gotcha. And this whole ceremony could take place, and they could actually hear each other shouting from one end to the other. That would make sense. Yeah. I find the designation of the different tribes very interesting because wasn't – Yes. Uh, Dan taken out of 
the blessing? Am I remembering that correctly? Like, were these specifically the ones who were standing on Mount Ebal, the Kurtz Mountain, were these the ones who specifically started worshiping Baal after Moses went up on the mount to get the Ten Commandments? <gasps> I don't remember. It's a good question. All right, someone in and the I chat, go get your too. Bible. Go get your Bible. <laughs> I know there's something about the tribe of Dan, like they don't appear in the tribes of Revelation again. I remember there's something specific about it. I can't remember what it is exactly, but there is something about one of the tribes that they are kind of set to the side because they either chose not to enter the promised land or weren't allowed, something like that. And I know the tribe of Levi was definitely set aside because they were the ones who were basically taking care of the Ark of the Covenant. They were the ones taking care of the temple. So it would make sense that they would be on Mount Gerzim, right? Because they were given so much responsibility. Yes. And the Levitical priests were in the valley with the Ark during this um, ritual. That makes sense. Your mic sounds kind of odd all of a sudden. Maybe it's my headphones. No, I think it's me. Yay, technical issues. It's not a Hawkhound stream if there isn't one little funny tech issue. Oh, I know. Something. How's uh-huh. that? There it is. Perfect. Yay. Yay. So, yeah. The Levitical priests were in the in Shechem in the valley with the Ark while this was going on. Um, okay. So, thanks, PJ. Yes, thank you. Yeah, if you guys missed it, PJ in the Rumble chat said the Tribe of Dan thing happened later. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we knew that. We're definitely. testing you guys. We're so on top <laughs> of it. We definitely know our Bibles cover to cover. Absolutely. Wow. No, one thing that I, one little tangent, I'm going to go down for a second. So she can Do here it. in the middle. Oh, sorry. Mm, you're good. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a lot, a lot happened there. We don't. And it was a lot of the, I'm losing my train of thought simply because technical issues. We got it. Okay. We got I'm this. back. Ha ha ha. So this is first where God promised Abram the land of Canaan. Oh, okay. In Genesis 12. It's where Jacob returns after leaving, leaving Laban. It's also where Jacob's daughter Dinah, do you know, remember that story? It's very short and... Not a ton of details, but mm. basically here, this is where she was raped and her brothers. Oh, yeah. All of them. All yeah. 12 of them just destroyed the yeah. inhabitants of this place. Those are some badass brothers. Yeah. They uh, they didn't take no crap from nobody. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But yeah. So when all that happened, after that, Jacob fled because he was scared of the repercussions of course. Of course. And God told him to go to Bethel. But before they left, Jacob um, had his house put away all their foreign gods and purify themselves. Mm. And then this is also where Joshua says later, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I love that. <clears throat> I do too. And why I bring this up, first of all, I didn't realize that this is, this geographical location in itself is such a big deal. Mm. And except for what happened with Jacob's sons, this is like a it's very significant to the Israelites' commitment and recommitment uh, to God as the one true God, and not right. just 
commitment to him, but the repudiation of foreign gods. And just there's a lot of patriarchal roots. It's very deep there. So it's just crazy to me that this all took place at such a such an already important spot Yeah, to them. It's so funny how often that happens in the Bible, how they often circle back to similar places for more important things to continue to happen. And I think that just reminds us how small the promised land actually is, how small Israel is, just yeah. like land space-wise. It's not as big as the United States. But that also means that the there's so much reverence there. There's so much historical uh, importance to uh, that land, like everywhere you go. Absolutely. It, you can't like set foot on anything without touching something important. Literally. <laughs> yeah. So this map that I have here too, again, it's it's hard to see, so I apologize, but. This map was made for ants. It was. So you see the Dead Sea in the south and just north of that a little bit is, well, a little bit is Jericho and then Shechem is mm. north of that in between the two. So just for another like reference point, because sometimes I just need to see a map. I love a good map. Me too. Sometimes I just need a good reference. But that map makes it look bigger than, you know. It does because so it's tiny. like blown up, right? Yeah. But if you if you blow it up and blow it, you know, you get further and further out, you're like, oh, it's tiny. Oh, it's not so big. It's not such a big area. <laughs> To be fair, they did have to walk everywhere on foot or ride on like donkeys and stuff. So right. that that's so a lot goodness. of ground to cover. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness it was so small. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have much of a choice, I don't think either. As far as not good transportation. Anyway, so that's kind of the background of Mount Ebal and what took place there and why this is so huge. So I love it. Moving forward, but not all the way, we're going to start with Adam Zertal. So in 1980, Zertal was, well, he was an archaeologist, and his survey team discovered a structure on Mount Ebal. Later, they excavated it between 1982 and 1989. And they uncover this large altar built out of unhewn stone, which fits the biblical description because one of the, um, yeah, one of the qualifications one of the rules i guess that moses had said from god was like no iron is to touch this don't you know you just build this with your bare hands Mm, now see iron's magnetic no that's that tie-in i i keep always thinking about looking for those things Mm -hmm. of course he wouldn't want anything magnetic to touch it because that's like the spiritual world leaking in that's those demonic spirits right leaking in Mm, so it was interesting pure if you will yeah like there was nothing no tools like that used it was just use what you got <laughs> i like it yeah so he found this <clears throat> and it's hard to describe so there's this altar on top and then there's an altar underneath as well mm. which i do have a photo of this too Ooh. I, I love pictures me too This is what it looks like now. And it's hard to, it's hard to see how you get like anything out of that. I'm actually going to pull up the peer review because that sums it up really nicely. I love a good peer review journal. As long as they're like actually good and not 100% falsified, like so many of them 
have been recently. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Here's hoping this is a here's so hoping hard this is tell. legit. Yeah. I know. Um let's see. So he exposed Zertal exposed a large rectangular altar constructed in the late 13th century. So I believe that is late Bronze Age. You know, it's so funny how many times they get they date things to the 13th century, and then it turns out to be, oh, this is older than we thought it was, this like with the Shroud of Turin. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I know. Well, and this one rested atop and pro- and was and protected an earlier round altar, and the round altar underneath was geometrically aligned with the rectangle on top. Which means they calculated that. You know what I mean? Whoa. Like you had to think about that to have this round altar perfectly in the middle. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ancient math. Ancient math. Thank God they did it and I didn't have to. But <laughs> that's what Zertal found. And that's kind of where all of this starts. Back in the 80s, he was out. He wasn't even out to prove that it was Joshua's altar. He actually was Jewish by heritage, but not necessarily religiously. And it wasn't until he had excavated this site that he was like, oh, this actually lines up with Joshua's altar and that story. And it kind of actually brought him around to his religion again. Wow. I love that. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, that was not his intention. I'm not even sure why he was ex- like did a survey there, except just the survey showed that there was something there, and they sure uncovered this. So, anyway, I love that. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. What happened later, 2019, was Scott Stripling came along, and he is an archaeologist with Associates for Biblical Research, and him and his mm-hmm. team, unfortunately, were unable to get the licensing they needed to excavate here any further. Okay. So basically this area is run by the, let's see. It's Palestinian civil control and Mm. then the Israeli military. So it's kind of very difficult, first of all, to like determine who's in charge and then also to get the licensing he needed in general. That makes sense. So he couldn't do it. So what he right. but what he could do was get the dump site. Um, okay, they could get access to the east dump site, and they had to move that dump site to uh, another area that was okay for them to work at. And so they did. And basically, his whole idea was to prove that wet sifting, which is this, it's not a new technique in archaeology, but it is a, it's labor intensive. It's a, it's more expensive. Sure. But he was just out to prove, like, we've missed so much because we only do dry sifting and things like that. We don't do wet sifting, and here's the importance of it. And just so everybody knows what that looks like, and you might be able to guess anyway, but I'm going to share it with y'all. It, it anyway. makes me think of when I go up to, like, the gold mines in North Georgia and, like, pan for gold, you know? Yes. Like you Very similar. in the water. Okay. Very similar. I figured. So... Again, just so y'all have a... When a soil sample is removed from an archaeology oh, site, it. it is screened to make sure that the artifacts in the soil have been recovered. There are two main types of screening, dry screening and wet screening. 
Dry screening involves sifting the soil through a screen, but this can be difficult when the soil is wet or is made up of large clumps. If water is available at the site, wet screening can be a quicker and more effective way to recover artifacts. Smaller screen sizes are used in wet screening, which makes this a very useful technique for recovering plant and animal remains. Wet screening is done by putting soil in a screen and then washing it through with water. I love it! This yeah. helps to remove the dirt from the artifacts and therefore <clears throat> helps to make artifacts more visible. I also love her cheerful voice. Once all the too. soil has been washed away, <laughs> the artifacts are collected out of the screen and put into a bag to be processed later at the lab. Woohoo! I guess the one question I have with wet screening, that's a lot of pressure you're putting yeah. on material. And so if something's very ancient and old, even small amounts of pressure could make it, you know, yes. crumble apart. And I think they were very careful, like, Scott Stripling and his crew. I don't That's think right. they necessarily used a hose like they so if you were listening and couldn't watch, they were pretty much using a garden hose to like spray down the Right. And I get that's dirt. a demonstration and you know, you wanna yeah. show the fastest thing possible. Yeah. So I guess when you're an archaeologist and you're doing wet screening, you would be more slow, more meticulous, being careful about the water pressure, things yes. like that. Yeah, and again, I, that's why it really hasn't been used. Again, it's so labor-intensive and time-consuming. That makes sense. To do this. Um, what <laughs> Tangent. So what it made me think of a um, long time ago when I was in high school, forever ago. You know, back what in the one-room schoolhouses in the... <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you had to make sure your dress was down to your ankles exactly. and your, like, little collar was yes. up nice and high. <laughs> yeah. Can't show a wrist. Uh-uh, definitely not. <laughs> no, back when I was in high school, I went to um, Haiti okay. with my grandpa. He used to go every year from like 1970 until early 2000s. My, my grandpa made a trip every year, and we would go do something different. And one year when I went with him, we were building a schoolhouse. Oh, wow. And we had to make the cement ourselves, and you'd have to like sift Mm. all the dirt and the and everything before you mixed it and oh my word I the Haitians were laughing at me so hard so <laughs> I'm standing there I'm I'm like I want to work hard I can help and I'm trying to sift all this stuff <laughs> and the one you skipped one, arm day too many times Elise oh my gosh I skipped everything day for that <laughs> it was ridiculous but there's this cute little old Haitian man Who's standing there watching me? And I mean, he's thin as a rail, probably like 50s or 60s. And he is just laughing. He's like, fatigue? Fatigue? Like, tired? You tired oh. yet? No. And I'm like, no, I'm not, tired. I'm not tired. He comes in and just like gently, nicely, like, he's like, I got, I got this. You just, you go take five. And, he goes all day long just sifting all that wow. whatever it was, heavy-duty stuff. And then he just chucked the big rocks over his shoulder and he'd keep going. And I was like, I'm not cut out for this. I am way <laughs> too privileged for this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I don't know why. That always makes me, when you talk about that wet sifting, sense. reminds me of that. I love Very that. I love story. that story. But yeah. Tough, tough guy. I could just imagine tidy little Elise going, uh, I'm not tired. I'm fine. I was not fine. I was dying. But <laughs> this is not fine. 
It's not fine. But yeah, so it's labor intensive and all that jazz. And, um, but they have found before all of this, before mountain ball with the wet sifting, it was, they were able to find like gems and scarabs and all sorts of stuff that would easily have been thrown in the dump pile. Right. Because it was covered in dirt and just the dry sifting itself, like you couldn't, you still couldn't tell what it was necessarily. So, um, they would – sorry, totally lost my train of thought. But anyway. It sounds like you had a mystery ghost I trying did. to lurk in the background. I did. I have a really loud door into this room. It's the For anybody who didn't ghost. hear it, I don't know how you wouldn't have heard it. <laughs> my mom's offering me iced tea. Oh, so it's nice. So I know. Uh, so, yeah. So, that was the whole point of this dump excavation if you will and there and he was scott stripling was joking like archaeologists love to dig through garbage like that's what we do it's so fun so they're there and they're doing this and again not expecting to find much but expecting to find something to just help prove that this is a great technique and what happens is i think her name is frankie snyder she was one of the girls on the on his team okay and she's sifting this stuff. Well, they, they weren't sifting. They were just running water over it. But she finds this small little lead tablet. And she was like, this is something. This is something. But just for reference, it was this big. It was it's this a, big. That's a, that's a cracker. This is, this is the forbidden snack cracker. The forbidden snack. I think we referenced that once and said it was like the size of a cracker. I mean, kind of. Maybe a Cheez-It. Yeah, yeah. It's about the size of a Cheez-It. Yeah. So it's two centimeters, two by two centimeters. And if they could open it, it would be like two by four. Oh. A little bit bigger. Who writes that small? That's a curse for ants. I tried. I tried to write the curse out. Oh my gosh, out. she totally did, guys. I wish you could see this. If you're listening, <gasps> you need to see the teeny tiny Elise writing. Yeah, it I says, couldn't fit it all. Oh, the camera oh. started to focus in on it. Let me see if I can, can read the curse. Uh, no. No, it says yeah. curse something. Curse, curse, curse. It's, not, <laughs> it's basically all it says. But yeah, so that's the size of it. And I'll also show you what it looks like in real life. But it's, um, it's tiny, but she knew she had something. So she called Scott over. I think they also ran um, a, come on, not this picture. We did this. They ran a metal detector over it too. And of course, so here's one picture of the cursed tablet. And it is folded. Okay. Because that's what they did. And they knew, again, they knew it was something. Actually, Stripling was like, I know what this is. And this is him holding it. So, again, guys, it's really small. It's tan. I mean, it looks like. It literally looks like a cracker. Yeah, it looks like a cracker. Uh, He found it. He saw it. So when she brought it over to him, he was like, oh, my gosh, I know what this is. But it can't. But it. So at first he was confused because he's like, I'm pretty sure this is a cursed tablet. And again, because they were so popular and they'd been found before, they he he recognized it, but it didn't fit with the time frame. So mm. these lead tablets, just for reference as well, 
They were very thin strips of lead that could, again, they're malleable. So you could easily fold it. So it was easy to fold. I noticed that was a question we had in the rumble chat. Like how could you fold a lead tablet? And I'm guessing it's not like this thick sheet of lead. It's like a very fine, very thin, thin. like you would almost think of aluminum foil, but instead of aluminum foil, it's lead. Right. Yes. That's very, that's a good example. Very similar, very thin like that. So they could fold it. And that was the, that was the deal. So he recognized it, but all the pottery that they had found, like pottery shards and everything else had dated back to late Bronze Age mm. and early Iron Age. And he's like, that's not, cursed tablets were found way after that. Right. So either this came in sooner or these are older than They were doing this well before. Again, there was nothing else, though, in this dump pile or even in Zertal's findings that referenced anything newer Mm. than So, bare minimum, the the youngest it would be would be early Bronze Age. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. Um, Well, late Bronze Age, sorry, early Iron Age. Okay, late Bronze. So, we're talking like 1250... BC to maybe 1150. Uh, I I might be really stupid when it comes no. to like naming ages. I what's, am. What's the difference between the Bronze Age and the Iron Age? Is that just like we made iron? In the iron, iron was age? much more. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Like so, iron was used more for um. Weapons. That's the word I want. Oh, okay, okay. So it was like that. So they moved on from bronze to iron, which was more durable and got it better. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one who did know. No, no, no. You're not alone. And I should have made that distinction. Yeah, that's I got carried away. Yay. Uh, yes. So they found this. He knew what it was, and again. They dated it not with radiocarbon dating, but based on what was found in it, around it, mm. all the things. And they all, everything added up to this time period. Later, oh, I see a question. So so they they, they didn't date the thing itself. Right. So it's all a, a proximity dating. How did they date the stuff around it? It was based on... What was popular at that time, pottery-wise. Okay. Pottery. Okay, pottery. And yeah. the writing later. Mm. And the and the writing on the pottery and things like that. And also, they did date the lead, or they traced the lead where it came from, was this mine in Greece, which was exporting How could lead. you possibly know that? I have no idea. Honestly, there are so many rabbit holes they could have gone down. But I was like, uh, no, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. I don't expect you to have the answer. My question to them is like, how could you possibly know what mine this iron came from? That's like those people who get on like NCIS or whatever crime (laughs) TV show are like, this particle of dirt was in the Colorado River and it's over in Quantico. Ha, we found him. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. No, you didn't. Stop. Stop talking. No, you didn't. I know. But it's very much very similar to that. 
they traced it back to this very specific mine in Greece, which was very popular at that time. It actually stopped exporting lead, I want to say around 1200. Yes, okay. 1200 BC. So that could even make this older mm. also. But my other question, I don't have an answer for this. My other question is if they had this and if there was a plethora of this lead and they right. had it with them, did they carry it around for a while? I don't know. I have no idea. It's yeah. a, I'm reaching, but no, I also that's think. a good question. Yeah. I also think of all the notebooks I have around my house. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them I'm sure I've had for like 15 years and they, <laughs> but I still use them. Uh, I'm a hundred percent like this. I've been using the same journal. <laughs> I, I checked back to the very first page and it was the day before I got knee surgery. I was 18. <laughs> I am much older than 18 now. So by a minute, just like by five minutes. Right. Yeah. I, but it's just a weird thought I had, but I was like, you know, maybe they had it with them. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. They like to hoard cursed. They were hoarding their lead tablets, tablets. their lead tablets. Yeah. Yeah. So they could like, if someone w- was, you know, making them angry, they whip it out like a post-it note. Like, I'm going to curse you. I'm this. cursing you. I'm cursing you. <laughs> exactly. No. It was always a threat, you know. That's right. Watch out. I'll write out a curse. <laughs> but once they found this, again, Stripling knew what he had for the most part. But he right. had to prove it. And he makes a really good point that I've never really thought about before, but he was like, the point of archaeology is not excavation, it's um, publication. Mm, that so, hits. yeah, so like excavating is the, you know, it's what everybody thinks of, everybody knows. But really, what your goal is, is to publicly announce, well, not just announce, but to publicize your work. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the goal. Yeah, and have it out there for the um, academics to look over and I mean, it's not like that in science. No, I'm just kidding. It's definitely not. We definitely don't rush the uh, trials. We don't <laughs> falsify data. We don't rig peer reviews. We don't do anything just for publication. We're just in it for the scientific method. Right. Fake yes. smile. Fake smile. <laughs> he did get a lot of pushback because he announced before he had the publication he announced what he had. And that's like a big no-no. You don't go Ooh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't do that because then someone's going to steal your data or something. People are cutthroat, man. Yes. So he, I guess, put out a picture of this cursed tablet before they did Whoops. anything with it. Yeah. And then he realized because people were looking at the picture and they're like, there's writing on that. And he was like, oh, crap. So then he publicly announces... um, yeah, it's, we found this curse tablet. It's ours. Don't take it. And he basically says that, like, I, I announced it publicly Finders before. Keepers. Yeah, I announced it publicly before anybody could, um, or before I published anything because I didn't, didn't want anybody to steal this from me. I'm like, okay, it's just big faux pas. But I'm not saying that that discredits him. I'm just saying, like, for those who don't know, in this world, I don't know. Right. That's just not what you do. But 
nevertheless, he did get it published. And there was one peer review. And then um, the second one came out May of this year. And that's kind of why we're talking about it Ooh, too. But That is so exciting. So basically what they did with this is they um, took it back. They f- wanted to open it to read it. And they started to open it and it started to break. Because it was, ah, of course. Of course it did. Very brittle. Um, we kind of talked about this with our like top 10 archaeological finds. That one. Right. There were the... Um, scrolls that were oh yes rolled up the teeny tiny scrolls teeny tiny scrolls they weren't made of lead i think it was copper no i don't remember was now. it silver might have been no i think you're right i think it was silver not copper okay. silver yeah. it took them three years to unroll that three it's like years. a micrometer every day just kind of letting it basically letting gravity pull it yeah, yeah. that's the only way you could do it is to do a gravity pull yeah. Because if you put any kind of pressure or force, like I can just feel myself having to do this because I worked in a lab <laughs> for so long. I'm right. just going, ah, don't ah. do it. Don't fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. And so with this one, there was like no way they were opening this up. And luckily they found the Institute of Theoretical and Applied Mechanics in Prague. Mm. They had done this with something similar um, a few years before and they offered to take a look at this and try and read the inside with mm. tomography. So x-rays and okay. like if you did it with your body, it'd be a CT scan. That rings. Oh, okay. So it's, it's like x-ray diffraction almost. Yes. Okay. And I started getting into that in the peer review and I was like, I'm just going to ask Jess if she knows. The way <laughs> I knows. think of it is if if you shoot a laser at a mirror, right, you expect it to bounce off at different angles. Yep. So if you shoot lasers at different things, you can get back the angle of incidence as it's being reflected back to you because all particles will either allow light to pass through or reflect them back. And so you can have this high-powered instrumentation that detects the lengths and the angles at which it's being reflected back. And that can give you basically, like you were saying, the topography of whatever the thing is that you're looking at. Yes. Yes, that. But no, that's what this... uh, (laughs) Science! Science! But that's what they did in Prague for them. And they were slowly sending stripling uploads of what they had found. Mm. Um, There was a little bit of a hitch. So this, they found this in 2019, brought it home. And then 2020, the... um, the COVID. Oh, of course. The COVID. <laughs> so. Wait, wait. So you're telling me they found a cursed object and when they tried uh, to open it, we got a worldwide pandemic? It was their fault. It was all their fault. I originally thought it was the sarcophagus that they opened at Egypt, but now right. I have questions. But now I know. Can't blame China anymore, guys. <laughs> it's because they tried to open the cursed tablet trying to open the cursed tablet it's all their fault oh but that just like set everything back for them but eventually yeah pandora's tinfoil i love the rumble chat sometimes Me too. that's amazing that was really good that's what we're calling it it's not only the forbidden snack tm yeah. but it's also 
Pandora's tinfoil. We're going to blame him and his team for finding this and giving us all COVID. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, So he had to get together not only like this place in Prague, but once they started doing all the x-rays and seeing more and more of the characters that were on the inside of this cursed tablet, they needed epigraphers, the people who study and interpret ancient transcripts. Okay. To really dive into what was being said. So, side note before we jump into that, because we need to understand a little bit about language, which um, I actually hated learning, like, the details of English in college. Oh, my gosh, same. I live I in the South. I don't know English. It. I hated it. It was the word. I was an English minor. Like I, you know, I was too, but I did it only for the literature classes because I loved reading literature. But me you too. asked, I did not do the grammar class, you know, where you do the the oh, lines and you put the subject and the adjective. No, get get that out. No, leave. I did it, and I did it like online. And online schooling was <gasps> no. not what it is now. I'm hoping it's better now, but it was terrible. It was terrible. Oh. But I'll try not to have too many flashbacks. So one thing to keep in mind, so how they determined that this was a Hebrew text and not Canaanite text. One was because like Canaan and Hebrew was very similar. They used the same proto-alphabetic stuff. The general theory is that we started with the hieroglyphs. Egyptian hieroglyphs. Right. And that um, went from like, you know, you had like 700 different symbols and they condensed it down to like 22 letters. So this proto alphabetic, and that's, and it eventually evolved into the alphabet we have right. today in English. The theory is, you know, that it started in Egypt and evolved through Canaan. And there's a connection. <laughs> there but not a lot of people want to admit it yeah i was gonna say that feels backwards Mm -hmm. for some reason yeah well so we'll get into moses more but you do have a bridge from egypt to canaan Mm -hmm. and that is moses and you had moses who was a prince in egypt who was definitely well versed in for sure hieroglyphs and also hebrew as well So he had learned it all. And then you go, they went in the Exodus from Egypt. Literally Exodus. Literally Exodus. Egypt. They were out. And you have what everybody believes is going from, again, the hieroglyphs to this proto-alphabet or proto-Canaanite script. The argument that I'm making and I think, and Stripling made too was, the bridge there is Moses. They don't see yeah. it. Most don't, you know, we're not going to admit that. That's not what the paradigm says. That's not how it goes. He was literally a prince of Egypt. Yeah. Well, he didn't exist. Uh, That's the argument, too. What? <laughs> okay. I know. So liberal critical scholars just don't believe Moses existed at all. There's no way he could have written this. But what you have is a very similar 
alphabet in this curse tablet. And that's getting into like the blessings that I'm trying right. to get to here. But oh. there is a connection. And yeah. I think Moses is the bridge between the two, between Egypt and Canaan and that alphabet. So what you have in the curse tablet is old Hebrew, you know, like right. ancient first version of Hebrew. We oh, have wow. that in English too. Yeah. You know, there's old English like Beowulf. Which I cannot it, read. <laughs> no, no, but nobody can read that unless you're, unless you know old English. Right. Like, yes, it's English, but modern English speakers, readers, we couldn't, you couldn't just pick Even up reading Beowulf Shakespeare in the original. is hard for some people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, oh my gosh, that was another class in college. I actually liked that one. But. I did too. <laughs> but uh, you have Old English like Beowulf and then you have right. Middle English like Canterbury Tales with Chaucer. Yeah. Or Dante's Infer- the Comedy. It's the great comedy. The Divine Comedy. Yeah. Divine Comedy. Thank you. Yep. Yes. So those are like examples of Middle English and then you have Modern English. And it was the same with Hebrew. Mm, that makes so sense. Is, yeah. And it's evolved just as English has evolved, but this is the old Hebrew ver- version. I like it. What makes it different than the Canaanite, so um, alphabet, if you will, are the right. references. So what this says, what they eventually get to when they get into this curse tablet, and I'm going to show you what they, I mean, you won't, I'm not expecting anybody to read this because... You know, it's tiny and it's, it's made ti- for ants. Oh, it yes. Teeny, tiny. I definitely know those letters. Right. Because they look like letters I could read and not yeah. kind of scary shapes. Right. Yes. I'm not well versed in Hebrew at all. That's Hebrew? Old, ancient Hebrew. <laughs> but that's like a drawing of what they found on the inside of the tablet. And for Whoa. anybody who can't see it, it looks like it's stick just figures. Symbols. It's it's straight up stick figures. Stick figures. It looks Random like there's symbols. this giant stick figure I surrounded know. by little teeny tiny stick figures. And this one yes. looks like he's holding a sword, maybe. And there's one that looks like the Nike symbol. And there's <laughs> one that looks like lightning a lightning bolt. bolt. Yeah. yeah. A diamond. I don't know. They're just a yeah. It's kind of unsettling. It is. And they found 48 letters. So there's 22 22 letters in the alphabet, in this alphabet. Um, Yeah. One of our rumble chats said it looks like, what'd you say? Four-year-old's drawing. Yes. (laughs) And then immediately after it, PJ says, my son might have a curse on our refrigerator. I mean, mean, you might want to get that checked. You might want to check that out. Yeah. If he folded it, don't open it. Yeah, definitely don't open it or you're going to unleash another <laughs> plague onto the world. Or just in your house, at the very least. Don't need another one of those. Don't need any of that. So that's what it looked like. But they were able to distinguish what it said once they were able to see what was on there. And so what it says is, um, cursed, 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 cursed by the God Yahweh, you will die cursed, Ooh. cursed, you will surely die Cursed, cursed, cursed. That must be why I just like feel unsettled looking at that picture because there's sometimes things transcend or transcend language. Yeah. Because just like looking at it and the way the shapes are oriented and the 
way it's like scrawled, it looks like somebody could have written it in a deep sort of anger. And it just makes me feel icky inside. Yeah. And that's the heaviness I'm talking about. So there's a lot of like curses that you can read from ancient times. Some of them are pretty funny. Some of them are ridiculous. This one is very, to me, very heavy. Like curse, yeah. curse, curse. Like if you don't get it, let me say it again. You are cursed. <laughs> that's a lot of cursing. It's a lot of cursing. Cursed by the God Yahweh. So not only was this um, just a really like a big deal. I mean, they're, they again, at Mount Ball, they had this whole ceremony to reaffirm, like, <laughs> to reaffirm their commitment to God. Like, we're not going to do these things. We want the blessings. We don't want the curses. And right. then you find this in the altar, Joshua's altar. And it, um, I don't know, to me, it's just like, don't mess, don't mess, don't do it. You're right. going to be. And they make the um, argument too, or Stripling did in one of the, I listened to so many <laughs> interviews with him. I love it. But he said something like different, not different story, but he just had different like points to bring up in each sure. one. Um, and he said, you know, we think of curses like it's a bad thing. It's a satanic thing. And it, I mean, it can be, don't get me wrong. It totally can be. But he, what he's saying too is it's also a consequence. Like what this mm. is, is a consequence. Like Adam was cursed. It was a consequence of him and Eve okay. and things like that. So it's not so much dark as it is like these are, there are big consequences when you don't follow the covenant, when you don't follow the rules, when you don't, whatever. And I guess right. on the reverse of that too, is there are big blessings when you do as well. Like that's the upside. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> natural consequences of poor life choices is yeah. always going to feel like a curse. Like I feel like my <laughs> student debt is a curse, but you know, that was a choice that I brought upon myself because I wanted to be a teacher. And right. if I wanted to do that, I had to jump through the necessary hoops, even if they feel curse like, yeah. does that mean I'm going to wish that curse upon other people? No, no, you're a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, exactly. So that's kind of, I don't know, the feel of it. And that's what it said. And that's also the biggest blessing from this because, you know, obviously it's not meant to be a blessing. Right. But for us today, the biggest blessing from this, and that's why I called this that, is that there, it shows one that the Hebrews did have an alphabet that they could write. Right. Moses could have written the Pentateuch. Moses was capable mm. and able to write the first five books of the Bible. Maybe not the part about his death, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That'd be weird if he was like, and then I died. Boom. Right. I know it's coming. I'm just going to write this out real quick. I mean, he did know he was going to die because he yes. knew he wasn't allowed into the promised land, which is why he prepared Joshua to take yes. over after him. I, exactly. But it shows that they were capable. It shows that they had this and that Moses could have done this. So it kind of throws the whole, at least part of the argument, out the window. Yeah. It doesn't prove that Moses was alive, but it does prove that at that time, the Hebrews could have written down their yeah. history. I think as Christians, we kind of take 
Moses and so many Old Testament figures for granted. Absolutely. When, like you were saying, archaeologists are like, nah, that didn't happen. Yeah. He couldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, he was illiterate. There's no way he could have written anything if he even existed at all. Yeah, if he was even a person. Yeah. Which, how could you not think that Moses is real? Like, to me, there's so much evidence for him being real. Yeah. Yes. Again, this is just another piece of the puzzle that we found recently that right. corroborates the Bible. Is that at the very least historically accurate or yeah. a historical text? If yeah. If, if you're not going to believe the spiritual side of the yeah. Bible, at least as a historical text that Moses was real, that Joseph was real, that Joshua was real, like yeah. that Jesus was real, like at least the historical corroboration should be yeah. taken seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's that's a huge part of this and a big reason why. And everything here lines up also, which is, you know, the the timeline fits with the Exodus and the conquest. Mm. And again, the alphabet and the fact that this was found at Mount Ebal. That's crazy. Which fits it just all fits so like yeah, beautifully together. <laughs> and I just get really geeked about this because it's happening now and it's so recent. Right. So there have only been two peer reviews and we could go into all that, but it, it just basically says, yeah, what he found is what he found. It says I, what it says. I just love the comparison of this to like the episode you did with PJ about yeah. Ron Wyatt Thank who's you. making yeah. these very absurd claims that are like off the wall. It, you know, he's just making this shit up. <laughs> and then you have, what yeah. was his name? Andrew Sterling. Like doing, Sterling. Yeah. Stripling. Yeah. Sorry. Stripling. Stripling. Yeah. Um, you know, doing like real archeological work. Yes. Being very considerate of it. Yes. I mean, what a and nice juxtaposition. It really is. Thank you for reminding me of that because I hate that I I feel like I'm always picking on Ron Wyatt, but he kind of deserves it though. He, he's earned it, in my opinion. It shows that this is legit. This is, and he had to find. So Stripling had to find one. Let's go back. He could not get the licensing, which was a huge thing with Ron Wyatt too. He's like, oh, I got verbal permission to be here. I got verbal permission to do all this, and it's like, no, nah, that don't fly, bro. No. Sorry, no. Uh, so he couldn't get the licensing he needed to excavate, but he could get the dump site, the mm. pile, and right. moved, and he could go through it. So who knows what's still there, by the way, because he can't excavate there. Or at least we you know, Americans can't. Maybe and, another curse tablet. Right. Or two, another danger um, snack. Yeah. More crackers. <laughs> More crackers. <laughs> More crackers. Who knows? And... Uh, so who knows what else is there? And then also, yep, I lost it. Oh, Ron Wyatt and all of his jazz. But Stripling like had that one faux pas maybe of, well, yes, of announcing things before right. anything was published. But aside from that, like he went through finding all these um, neutral yeah. experts to examine this. And he went through and he did his research on the best place to have the peer review journals published mm. and pick them. I think he said something like they're in the 90th percentile of archaeological peer review journals. Wow. Yeah. And he paid, 
So one argument that, that is made against him, which is, all you have to do is do your research, but they're saying like he paid for this to be published. No, he paid so that this peer review would be public. Like anybody can get oh, it. Oh, public access. Okay. Public access. That's <clears throat> I'm about to go off. Do it. Because this shit pisses me off. <laughs> like, no, scientific archaeological knowledge should be public access. People should have access to this information. It should not be gatekept behind the ivory tower. Oh my gosh, I hate it so much. Yes. Especially now that like I'm out of academia and I'm trying to do like real research. I mean, I was when I was in academia, but now I'm like digging for more and more independently. And yes. things that I want, I cannot find unless I pay $50 a month to some journal that's just going to use that money to puff itself up anyway. Yeah. Like the idea that you want to close knowledge behind a paywall is absolutely insane. How are you going to encourage people to want to pursue science, pursue archaeology, if you don't give them the resources to learn things for themselves? Ooh, it makes me angry. Yeah, agreed. And I give him lots of kudos for that, like paying. Good so for that, him. Yeah, honestly. absolutely. And I loved also in his interviews, he was like, I I know there's going to be um, kickbacks. I know that, or not kickbacks, but I know there's going to be pushback. Mm, right. Yeah. Wrong word. I know there's going to be pushback. I know that there's going to be arguments. I know that people are going to say that they interpreted it differently or that this, that, and the other. And he goes, and I welcome that because that's academia. That's how this rolls. That's exactly. what this is. This is and how it should that. be. It should be an open discussion where you can mm -hmm. ask questions, pose different ideas, let your research stand for itself. Yes. Don't have this fear. Don't hide behind a paywall or or even worse, have news people or news platforms go and read your article, not actually understand it. And then the news article is the thing that is publicly available with all of its biases, and right. its misinterpretations of the data, and the actual journal itself, the actual data itself is hidden behind a paywall. So no one can access it. The only thing that is publicly accessible is the bias. Yes. Ah. Amen. I like Thank that. You. Yes. Oh, it just gets me so fired up. I am so glad he made that publicly available. Like that yeah. just speaks so highly of him to me. Me too. And just the fact that he was so certain and stood by it. And he's like, I know all this is coming. You can go read it for yourself. And I know what I found. I know what I believe. Here it is. Like I, I welcome all of it. All of the whatever people have to say. I welcome it. Love Let's it. do it. And so anyway, it, it's just a really cool example of what archaeology is. Biblical archaeology yes. is. And Not the Ron Wyatt kind, like the legit kind. Yeah, like this is what legit stuff looks like. And now sometimes it's not as flashy, maybe, but, but I still like think it's real? big impact. And I like that it's subtly impactful. You know, like, oh, I found... The Ark of the Covenant. I found chariot wheels. I found um, the nails that were used for, you know, all the things that Ron Wyatt said. It's all like flashy. And what I love about the curse tablet and Mount Ebal is all the ramifications that you would not expect. All the, um, yeah. all that comes to fruition because of this, that you would never, you know, it, you would never think like this tiny little cracker. 
<laughs> could have such a huge impact on um, archaeology, biblical archaeology, science, and history, and all of it. So that's my little geek geeked out. I love it. Episode. Yeah. Geeky Elise is my favorite. She comes out every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's what I've got for us in this portion. I have some more questions for everybody Ooh. in the Rumble chat later. Maybe. Just some more ideas. Yeah. I'm we'll excited. See what, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. This has been super fun. Don't forget, we are going to go over to the Rumble chat. But next week, we're actually doing a collab episode. Yay! And on nothing else but dragons. Yes. It's literally <laughs> called Here There Be Dragons. Yeah. So if you guys like dragons, if you like dinosaurs, if you like archaeology, it's going to be a fun one. It's probably going to be a little extra quacky, but yes. I'm here for it. Yes, me too. It's going to be fun. We're going to get into it. Yay. But yay. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Um, we'll go over and chat with everybody in Rumble, and we'll see you next. Oh. Anything else to announce? Did we get a thumbnail from Conspiracy Pill? What are they doing? I don't know. They're probably doing something. They're going to be seeing each other, so it'll probably be an on-the-ground type of episode. I don't know. They're doing something. Go see them at the Lansing Brewing Company. Yeah. And help at crash their party. <laughs> exactly. And don't and forget to hit that like and subscribe button to help us grow our channel, help us grow this podcast. If you're listening, please don't forget to give us a five-star review. If you write us an actual review, we will read it on the show and send you a little goodie. So make sure you guys do that and help us grow. We really appreciate everybody for listening and for being here. It means the world to us. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you in the chat. See ya.